southern edge of Gila County, snuggled into a valley in the mountains, there is a town called Christmas. Yes, Christmas. Christmas, Arizona. And Christmas, Arizona isn't a magical town where somehow it snows in the middle of the desert, like out of a Hallmark movie. And it's not where Santa has a summer home either, but instead it's an old mining town that is now completely deserted. How classically Arizona. Of course our town called Christmas is a ghost town. In searching for a story to share in the week where many of us will hang our stockings with care, I wanted to know more about Christmas, Arizona. Welcome to Valley 101, an Arizona Republic and AZ Central podcast where we answer your questions about Metro Phoenix. I'm producer Amanda Luberto, and this week we'll travel outside the valley to find out how this mining town got its festive name. When I came across Christmas, Arizona, and started reaching out to people about who to talk with, everyone told me the same name, David Briggs. David is a retired geologist who got involved in copper in 2006 when he was researching the Rosemont Copper Mine in the Santa Rita Mountains. He worked for 36 years before retiring in 2014. We talked virtually since he lives in Tucson. David has a kind face, a white mustache, and soft white hair. Very apt for a conversation about a place called Christmas, I may say. He sat in what looked like a home office, with a big bookshelf behind him full of books on one side and two large filing cabinets on the other. I've been writing papers on the copper mines in Arizona since 2014. I've published approximately 10 or 11 papers to date uh, on, on different districts, and Christmas has just happened to be one of those districts. David sent me a 52-page paper he had written about the Christmas mine. This is probably why every person I tried told me to talk with him. The mine, it turns out, has had a lot of owners, so I asked David to start at the beginning. It was discovered around 1880 by two prospectors named Dennis O'Brien and William Tweed. They worked the property for a couple years before they got James Douglas interested in it. And James Douglas, at that time, was working as a consultant for Phillips Dodge and Company. They then spent a couple of years building a road from the site to Eloy, a small town between Phoenix and Tucson, where it was connected with the Southern Pacific Railroad. But then development had to stop in 1884 after a government survey discovered the mine was within the San Carlos Indian Reservation. Basically, Phelps Dodge lost the mining claims there. Uh, The claims were declared invalid. Over the next 18, about 18 years, Phelps Dodge tried to to get the Indian Reservation, or at least get their property that was in the reservation declared removed from the reservation back in public domain so they could actually go back in there, restate the claims, and, and, and start mining. For nearly 20 years, Phelps Dodge did everything they could to reclaim the mine, but to no avail. Now, they weren't the only ones with their eyes on the copper mine. However, 
during this period, there were uh, other companies that were involved in, in looking for copper in Arizona, and they became it. They got interested in the property, and so they formed a company called Saddle Mountain Mining Company, uh, which was formed in May 1902. This new group, the Saddle Mountain Mining Company, set up a head office in Washington, D.C., so they could monitor the land status. If it became public land, they wanted in. And on December 22nd, they got their wish. President Theodore Roosevelt signed an executive order which returned the Christmas mine to public domain. The race was on. Saddle Mountain sent a telegraph to a representative in Casa Grande, who sent relay riders to Dudleyville, near Winkleman, where the mine's head office is located, to tell them that the mine was now in public domain and their representative staked the claim for the Saddle Mountain Mining Company on, you guessed it, Christmas morning. During this time, Phelps Dodge also had someone close by keeping an eye on the mine in case it went up for grabs. They wanted their mine back, but their representative wasn't around because he had gone to Globe to celebrate the holidays leaving the mine wide open for Saddle Mountain to stake their claim. This resulted in a lawsuit, but ultimately the two companies settled and the Saddle Mountain Mining Company became the owner. Over the next few years, Saddle Mountain expanded the mining operations at the Christmas mine. By 1905, there were about 600 people working in the mine, which had been developed to both surface and shallow underground operations. The area was so secluded that coke, a fuel made from coal residue and used in blast furnaces, was hauled in from the valley by horse-drawn wagons. Coke was necessary to smelt the ore they were mining. After a five-day smelting test, the matted product was a favorable 60% copper. This test allowed them to replace the 30-ton-a-day smelter with blast furnaces that could handle 150 tons a day. Unfortunately, flooding along the Gila River and a short supply of coke would hold operations at the mine for months at a time. So, I mean, the Saddle Mountain Mining Company didn't last all that long. By 1907, the price of copper had fallen from about 26 cents to 12 cents a pound. They went out of business. Then, in 1909, the Development Company of Arizona organized the Gila Copper Sulfide Company, and they purchased the Christmas mine. Over the next few years, the company spent more than $350,000 on equipment. And in 1911, the railroad expanded from Phoenix to Winkleman, which drastically reduced the cost for transporting smelting materials to the mine. But despite all of these efforts, they couldn't get the mine back in operations. By 1915, the Gila Copper Sulfide Company worked out an agreement with the American Smelting and Refining Company, or ASARCO, that would transfer operation responsibilities. ASARCO spent more money on equipment and reconstruction, and the Christmas mine was back open for business. The company's diligence would soon pay off. One year prior to the agreement, in the summer of 1914, a shot halfway around the world would indirectly raise the value of copper. Archduke Franz Ferdinand, the heir to the Austro-Hungarian Empire, was assassinated, thus setting into motion World War I. The United States entered the war in 1917, and for a brief period, the price of copper rose to 37 cents a pound. 
The Christmas mine was sitting on copper to sell, and production was steady. More people began moving near the mine, and the population of Christmas, Arizona was increasing. To the residents of Christmas, Arizona, it was a place to live because of the mine and not much more. But little did they know that the post office in town, which opened in June 1905, would put this small town on the map in a big way. People would drive down to Christmas and send their packages and letters from the post office in order to get the coveted postmark, a stamp of ink saying your presents were shipped from Christmas. This tradition extended outside of Arizona too. People from all over the country would send their parcels to the Christmas office just to have them re-stamped and sent off to loved ones for the holidays. The town's population was predominantly Hispanic, except for the people overseeing the operations. David said the residents were mostly miners and their families. It was a little unusual in that, unlike a lot of mining communities of the time, they did not have any slooms or brothels or anything like that. It was more of a, of a family community. He told me that at its peak around the 1930s, Christmas, Arizona, had a population of about 1,000. Now, I couldn't find this number, but a census from 1930 showed that Winkleman had 729 residents. Winkleman, as you'll remember, was the closest other town and where the head office for the mine was located. While it didn't have a brothel and remained a family-oriented community, the town of Christmas did have a little school, a church, a general store, a hat store, a meat market, and sufficient housing for its residents. The famous post office fluctuated with the success of the mine. It closed and reopened a few times in its lifetime, mostly because it was difficult to keep a postmaster. David's research paper notes that the postmaster's income was dependent on the office's stamp sales. And while it was busy during Christmas time, it wasn't often enough to keep a postmaster afloat. But keeping a postmaster in Christmas would soon become the least of the town's worries. The price of copper dropped from 21.3 cents per pound to 7 cents per pound at the height of the Great Depression. The mine closed during this time, and the town's population fell to 100 residents. Three years later, the Christmas stamps, which drew people from all over the country, were no more, as the post office closed for good on March 30, 1935. In retrospect, the Christmas mine wasn't as successful as some thought. David told me that from 1905 to 1981, the mine only produced 363 million pounds of copper. In comparison, the Morency mine, located less than 100 miles from Christmas as the crow flies, produces about 1 billion pounds per year. The Christmas mine would come to life here and there over the next few years, but in the early 1950s, the town of Christmas, Arizona was officially a ghost town. 
no people. The mine changed hands every so many years, but by 1999, it returned home to familiar hands. What was kind of interesting to me was that Trump Dodge was involved at the beginning, and, and it went full circle, and they, they've got it back about 100 years later, which I thought that was kind of interesting. That's right. Phelps Dodge finally got their mind back nearly 100 years after losing it because their watchman was on Christmas break. Phelps Dodge is now owned by Freeport McMoran, a company you might recognize by their big building in downtown Phoenix. Freeport McMoran did do a drilling operation at the Christmas mine in 2012. David Briggs was invited. It was his first and only time visiting the town. Thank you so much, listeners. We are off next week for the holidays, but we will be back in the new year to answer your questions. In the meantime, feel free to share this episode with a friend and subscribe to Valley 101 wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow the show on Twitter at AZC Podcasts and visit valley101.azcentral.com to leave us a tip. I'm producer Amanda Luberto signing off for the week. Take care. <laughs>